we talked about uh, how that they had a, uh, a split in the uh, <clears throat> in the Presbyterian Church. They came up with this Associate Presbytery, and uh, that's when the Secession Church was born out of uh, some disagreements over doctrinal issues and the progressivism and those who wanted to maintain traditional ideas. And, uh, and uh, we ended on this idea. In 1789, they divided into two more groups of this first division. So you had the Presbyterian Church, and then you had the Associate Presbytery, which uh, came uh, to be born out of uh, uh, that split known as the Secession Church, the Pres- uh, Secession Presbyterians. And then the Secessions, uh, <clears throat> they had another split. They split into the burgers and the anti-burgers. Okay, now what this had to do with was uh, it was on the question of the Burgesses taking an oath. Okay, in 1799, both branches of the Seceder Church divided into the new lights and the old lights. Okay, so you had this division, then you had another division. Uh, and that was based on the question of whether the the uh, solemn league and covenant should be made a term of communion. Okay, now the uh, the, the idea of this burger and anti burger was based on the uh, uh, taking or accepting the pledge that <clears throat> the uh, uh, the the congregation or the church or whatever the theology at the time was uh, uh, to be accepted and made a state religion. Okay, that was the problem. And so the, the burger said, yeah, let's do it, B-U-R-G-H-E-R, and the anti-burger said, we're not going to do it. And so then they continued to uh, to split. And uh, <clears throat> so Thomas Campbell was an old light, anti-burger, seceder, Presbyterian. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And of course, he wanted to stick to the the old Orthodox ways. He didn't want to be a progressive uh, <clears throat> like the modern progressives were at that time. He didn't want to uh, uh, support the idea of a state-sanctioned religion. He didn't think that was proper. Of course, it's not. And so he was a Presbyterian, but he was a seceder, <clears throat> anti-burger, Olight. I don't read about that in the New Testament anywhere. I wonder why they couldn't read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That would have gone a long way in helping the, uh, these uh, uh, denominational organizations come to a better understanding. <clears throat> so, amid all that religious division, Thomas, Thomas Campbell worked for unity, and he did endeavor to bring himself and his family closer to God, and that is what led him to be more drawn to the Bible and drawn away from the uh, the covenants and the articles of faith and all of those things associated with uh, denominationalism. He wanted to be dependent upon the Bible. So what we see in Thomas Campbell, <clears throat> excuse me, is the same thing that we saw when we were talking about Barton W. Stone: a desire to find out what the Bible had to say about it. What does the Bible say? Uh, Let's not rely on something that uh, someone concocted that is absolutely foreign to the Bible. That's how we got the Catholic Church, right? 
That's what caused that reformation we talked about. That's what brought in the, the Church of England or the authorized uh, uh, church. And that's what brought in the Protestant movement, which developed into the Methodists and the Baptists and the Presbyterians and then 25 different flavors of uh, the Presbyterians. You know, I just read the other day that uh, one branch of the Methodist church has decided they had their Congress met and so they decided they were going to split, but they hadn't laid out the... Uh, the plans of divorce yet, but it was based on uh, whether or not they're going to allow homosexuality uh, or embrace homosexuality and allow homosexual, uh, uh, whatever they call themselves, <clears throat> uh, leaders in the church, uh, to to be openly homosexual. Okay, but you know one of the things that I found odd. I don't know why that necessarily would bother them. <clears throat> Nothing else seems to bother them. Because the people they were interviewing were the uh, the leaders, the bishops of uh, the Methodist Church. They were all women that I read about. They were all women. And uh, that absolutely goes contrary to what the Bible says. So I don't know why a little uh, minor thing such as homosexuality would bother them all of a sudden, right? If uh, nothing else seems to bother them. But we see that that's what happens when people get away from listening to what the Bible has to say in deciding that they have a better plan. And so uh, Campbell had dedicated himself to being uh, a faithful Christian. He didn't understand fully at that time what that meant, <clears throat> but that was what he endeavored to do. And so he, he put everything else on the back burner. Thomas Campbell could have been a very wealthy man. Now obviously, later in life, Alexander Campbell was uh, was wealthy, okay, uh, as far as the standards of that day. And <clears throat> if you've ever visited his mansion, you know, it was uh, obviously a, uh, probably a huge mansion for the time, not really that uh, big of a mansion by today's standards, but at the time it was a mansion. But Thomas Campbell wasn't a wealthy man, <clears throat> but he could have been. At one time... The uh, Governor General of Ireland offered him a position as private tutor with a very large income and a very luxurious home. But he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that. He understood that if he took that position, that would place his family in a position to be in contact with worldly ideals, uh, to fall in love with the comforts of this life and maybe not think so much about what God wanted. Now, that had to have been a difficult decision for him. <clears throat> when we consider uh, wanting to take care of our families financially, right? That's uh, uh, anyone, any husband or wife, they want to make sure that their families are taken care of. And that's a big deal. And that's something we ought to consider, right? We ought to consider that. We ought to try to do the best we can in this life. I think we ought to always strive to better ourselves in every aspect of life, and that includes financially if we're able to do that, right? And uh, nothing wrong with having funds or having money. <clears throat> we just can't be in love with it, right? It's uh, Paul didn't say the money's the root of all evil. What did he say was the root of all evil? The love of money, right? Uh, anyone who tells you they don't like money, I have a hard time believing that, Okay? Uh, we don't love, we're not in love with money, 
That's not our number one priority. But anyone who says they don't like money, they don't like to have something that's a little better or provide for their children something a little better than they had, you know, uh, I don't know that that's true. You know, my, my dad grew up like many of, many of you here grew up. He didn't have indoor plumbing. He didn't have uh, any of that stuff. He can remember using coal oil lamps growing up for light. <clears throat> didn't have a refrigerator. Uh, you know, that's not, that's not appealing, is it? That's not something that we uh, endeavor to have in this life. What do we normally want for our own children? Something better, right? Something better. And that doesn't mean that we want to be the richest people in the world, the most wealthy people in the world, because we're probably not going to get there. But we do want to have some nicer things, and that's okay. But what if we don't have those nicer things? Hey, that's okay too. We just keep on uh, 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 trugging along and doing the things God wants us to do. And so I, when I read about Thomas Campbell, I see this sense of putting God first in his life, right? That didn't mean he didn't want to make a living. Didn't mean he didn't like having nice things. I'm sure he did. But he knew what was most important. So he uh, forego or decided to forego the wealth aspect. And he could have been very wealthy. But he wanted to give his children a better start in life spiritually. And I think that's missing a lot, don't you, in, in today's world. I think most parents want to give their children a good start in life physically. You know, we don't want them to be saddled with a bunch of student debt. We want to try to make them, try to train them to make good decisions. But what ought to be the primary uh, thing we want to do? Give them a good start in life spiritually, right? Train them to, to uh, know what it means to be a faithful Christian and to, and to live that way. And so... Uh, as a preacher, he decided to go into that, do that full time. He didn't take the avenue of riches, but it wasn't long as he worked in the, as a preacher uh, that uh, he began to develop stomach trouble. He had some stress on him. Has that ever happened? That happens in everyday life, doesn't it? No matter what kind of job you got, but I think sometimes when you when you deal with spiritual problems, I think elders have a big responsibility uh, and a lot of stress in their lives when it comes to overseeing the souls of the congregation. At any rate, the doctors tried to uh, help him, and so they came up with, a, with a, uh, an idea that he needed to go on a vacation. He needed to go abroad. That was what he decided to do. And so in the area where he lived, a whole lot of people were moving to America. I was talking with Brother Joe last time, and he said, when are we going to get to America? I said, we're almost there. And so uh, Thomas Campbell boarded a ship. Forty-five days later, he landed in Pennsylvania. Okay, or he uh, ended up coming into Pennsylvania. And so um, he went over, and uh, uh, he decided that he wanted to do that because... <clears throat> uh, Again, a lot of his friends were already going over, and Alexander, his son, had already told him, when I get old enough, when I get to the proper age, I'm going to America. And uh, I think I said 45, meant 35 days. But can you imagine being on a ship for 35 days? <clears throat> you can go halfway around the world in 15 or 16 hours, you know, on an airplane today. But anyway, uh, he ended up in Philadelphia in 1807. 
And fortunately, I guess fortunately, or at least at that time he thought it was fortunate, the Synod of North America was in conference in the very city where Thomas Campbell found himself. So the Presbyterian Church was meeting. Their uh, uh, Congress had met, and so he showed up. He presented his credentials. He wanted to start preaching. Uh, So I don't know how much of a vacation he ended up getting anyway, but Thomas was assigned to work under the Charte Presbytery in western Pennsylvania, okay? And um, over the course of the following two years, he worked on a circuit, okay? He'd preach here, preach there. Uh, He preached in Buffalo, Mount Pleasant. He preached in Pittsburgh. And so he was making his presence known in that part of the country. Any comments? Questions? Well, while he was there, uh, here's the problem that lay before Thomas Campbell. It lays before anyone who has an open mind, has an honest heart, and has not uh, given their loyalty to something uh, that some person wrote in a book. Okay? Some articles of faith or uh, something of that nature. He began to learn some things, okay? And remember, we go back to to before he left Ireland. He began to focus more on the Bible, less on creeds. He began to learn some things that dissatisfied him with the human elements in religion. But, isn't that what happens to people who do that? Uh, How many people here started out in a denomination? Okay, a lot of us. Uh, I started out, I've mentioned this before, I started out with nothing. I may, I think maybe that's even easier though. You just start out, you're nothing, right? Uh, it's hard to come out of denominationalism. It's difficult, okay? But over time, if you're reading the Bible and you're looking at it and you begin to see some things, you're going to become dissatisfied and you're going to ask some questions, aren't you? Well, all that was happening with Thomas Campbell when he came to uh, uh, Philadelphia and later working on that circuit in other places. And so what happens? What happens if you learn something that is contrary to a creed and you're in a position to be teaching? Normally, you do what Thomas Campbell did. He began to teach things that didn't line up exactly with the Presbyterian creed. Okay, so... That was a problem. How long is that going to last? Well, that's going to last until the headquarters find out about it, right? I can recall the last time that uh, uh, I was in India. <clears throat> I think it was 2015. We were in northern India, and uh, I preached in a Catholic temple. I got to, got to, or just by chance, we'd baptized a person. Uh, would help establish a congregation in a refugee camp. <clears throat> the place we went to to baptize that individual, the, the, the creek or the little river or whatever it was, uh, right across the, the, uh, the road, I guess you could call it a road, was a Catholic temple. And so uh, we just went over and knocked on the door and asked if anybody was home. And so the uh, Catholic pastor, never heard of a path Catholic pastor until that point, he came around and we had a Bible study. And so he invited us to come and and teach that the next day on Sunday. And we did that. We did that. 
Well, at least half of the congregation, uh, and there was probably 30 people there, at least half of that congregation were uh, was distraught. We were talking and speaking from the Bible, and what they had been taught didn't line up with God's Word. And so they were upset with the Catholic Church. And so uh, the two brothers that uh, were uh, translating for us, interpreting for us, uh, as we preached, they spoke with the people, and, and uh, I told them, I said, you warn them. When the disciples tried to leave Jesus, what did He do? He just let them go. You know what happens when you try to leave the Catholic Church and you're in a third world country? They send the hierarchy down and they'll whip you and they'll threaten your job and they'll make you come back to the Catholic Church. And that's what happened. A few of them escaped, but uh, they just went on. They found other jobs or they did something else, but they left that Catholic Church. But a majority of those people who were dissatisfied, they were intimidated into staying in the Catholic Church. Now, that's not what God does, is it? If you want to go, you can go. Not what the Catholic Church does, and really not what any denomination does, and that's what was happening to Thomas Campbell. They found out what Thomas Campbell was doing. And so, the first sign of trouble came on October the 27th, 1807. Now, how can we track Thomas Campbell's happenings over the next two years? Well, fortunately for us, the uh, Presbyterian Synod kept notes of all the meetings, and his name just kept popping up over and over again. They were having trouble out of Thomas Campbell. He wasn't minding. He wasn't obeying. He wasn't towing the line. And so, in that year of 1807, they began to talk about filling appointments of the circuits. And guess who didn't have any appointments? Thomas Campbell. So he wanted to know why. Well, because you're a false teacher, Mr. Campbell, and we can't trust you out among the people. And uh, a man by the name of John Anderson brought that to light because he was supposed to have been with uh, Thomas Campbell in Buffalo on a particular Sunday morning to help with the Lord's Supper, the sacraments. And he said, I'm not going. I'm not going to participate with that man because he's a false teacher. And he was a false teacher. I guess he was according to what the uh, Presbyterian Church uh, believed on things. And, uh, you know, they decided that they needed to investigate that, and they asked if anyone else was aware of his false teachings. Well, a man by the name of William Wilson was. And uh, we don't know a whole lot about these two men, but here's what we do know. They were protectors of the Presbyterian creed. They were going to stand up against anything harming that, uh, it said of Anderson that he was a short and stocky man. Uh, they said his appearance was he didn't have a neck, his voice was weak, and he was easily angered, though he tried to appear humble. Guess what? On the whole, no one liked him as a preacher. They didn't want him. But guess what happens when you're a member of the, the Presbyterian, Seceder, uh, Antiburger, Old Light, denomination you get the preacher they tell you you can have that was one of the problems right that was one of the problems one of the many problems we saw that problem in the catholic church we saw it in the church of england we saw it in these other denominations we've studied up to this time uh the other man wilson 
he was born 1770. He trained in Glasgow University over in Scotland. He came to uh, America in 1791 or 92, and he was ordained to preach in the Seceder Church in 1800. Guess what Thomas Campbell did? He objected. Why would he object to charges of being a false teacher? He taught what the Bible said. They didn't like that. Okay? So, as time went on and to kind of shorten up a very long uh, uh, story, he ultimately decided to leave. Now, here's what he said to the charges. They met with him. For about three days they discussed this, and he said, With regard to faith, I believe the souls of man is subject, uh, the souls of man is the subject of it. The divine spirit is the author of it. The divine word, the rule and reason of it. Christ and Him crucified the object of it. The divine pardon, acceptance and assistance or grace here in glory hereafter, the direct, proper and formal end of it. With respect to confessions of faith and testimonies, I believe the church has all the divine warrant for such exhibitions of the truth that our confession and testimony adduce for that purpose and that it is lawful and warrantable to use them as terms of communion insofar as our testimony requires, in which sense I've never opposed them. So in essence what he's saying is everything he said was correct up to the point he said, well, I think we can have uh articles of faith and and different things as long as they are in alignment with the Bible. Why is that not true? Well, if it's in alignment with the Bible, it's not a confession of faith, it's not an article of faith, it's not uh some kind of a creed, it's simply what the Bible teaches, right? And so have you noticed, along with Thomas Campbell, all these other men that we've talked about, Martin Luther all the way down to here, when they were asked, do you support this creed? They were very vague, weren't they? I support it in as far as it doesn't contradict the Bible. Well, they weren't interested in that statement. They wanted them to wholeheartedly say, I accept the creed, like these two men who kind of tattletailed on Thomas. I accept the creed in view of anything else. Well, that's not what Thomas Campbell was going to do. And so he was suspended. Uh, He tried to get them to suspend their judgment. They refused. And uh, in 1808 of May, uh, Thomas Campbell was present at another meeting. And uh, they upheld that he was uh, teaching false doctrine and said in his uh, uh, statements, just kind of what I thought, he was evasive. He, he spoke in generalities. He wouldn't take the stand that they wanted him to take, and it was highly unsatisfactory. And so uh, against his will, at least for this period of time, he was forced to uh, submit to them. And he began, to, he continued to preach for a while. And, uh, but, there were still problems. And in September of 1808, he broke from the Seceder Church. Now, I think this is extremely important because what that does to us is uh, brings us up to his mindset where he's saying, look, we're going to have to, uh, we're gonna have to do something different. Now, 
Alexander wrote about his father's attitude at this time. It said this, He objected not so much to the doctrines of the secession creed and platform as a doctrinal basis, but to the assumption of any formula of religious theories or opinions as the foundations of the church of Christ. Alleging that the Holy Scripture, divinely inspired, were all sufficient and alone sufficient for uh, the purposes contemplated by the author in giving them. So, we see he's getting closer and closer. He hasn't really decided to, to give up creeds, but he thinks if the creed states what the Bible states, then you can have a confession of faith or creed or anything else. Any comments, questions? Brother Joe. Oh, you know it had to have been discouraging, uh, you know, just humiliating at times where, you know, he's against his will, he submitted to what he knew, what he felt like was not right, but he hadn't yet come to that position in life or that point where he said, okay, we need to make a break. You know, I read about Thomas and Wycliffe and all those other guys in, in, the, in the distant past, and, you know, my heart goes out to him. I feel sorry for them. You know, even Martin Luther, who ended up being someone who was spineless, in my opinion, and not courageous at all, uh, you know, for a period of time, he had to live, you know, uh, like a vagabond. And uh, they were searching for him. They, You know, they wanted him dead. But he was beloved by the people, so much like John the baptizer, uh, Herod was afraid to kill him because he feared the people, right? And so uh, uh, the... The leadership in Germany feared the people and didn't, they were afraid to put Martin Luther to death. But yes, you know, these men suffered greatly. And, you know, I, I'm thankful that, uh, these men that we've been talking about in the restoration movement, uh, Barton Stone, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Campbells, those who came after the Campbells, uh, McGarvey and, and those people that they lived long enough to be able to come out of this denominationalism and come to the understanding of the truth, you know, because it had been very easy, wouldn't it, to have just thrown their hands up and said, you know, I give up. This is discouraging. You know, I imagine they felt a lot like uh, uh, Elijah when he was sitting at the, the brook Kidron, and he said, yeah, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And uh, he was about to give up, wasn't he? And then God came to him, spoke to him. He said, no, you're not the only one. We still got a lot who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And, and thankfully, there was, there was a group of people, however small it was at the time, that helped to support Thomas Campbell. Any other comments, questions? Well, this support came again in the group of five or six men. Uh, happened in uh, Washington, Pennsylvania. And uh, they had several men there uh, where uh, Thomas Campbell, he separated himself from the Presbyterian church and he began to preach in the homes of these people, okay? Some of them were very prominent. Some of them were military uh, people. Uh, and so as he continued to preach, what happens when you sow the, the seed of the gospel? 
Well, you plant it, you water it, you, you, you take care of it, God will give the increase. And that's what began to happen. People began to catch on and to, and to agree with the things that Thomas Campbell was talking about. And so their movement began to grow. And, uh, uh, so as it began to grow, he, uh, proposed to have a meeting with these men so this movement could take a more definite form, okay? So we can actually see what we're doing. Instead of just being a bunch of scattered people, let's kind of come together and make a movement here and uh, uh, begin to use the talents we've got to the best of our abilities and reach out and spread this thing they thought was the gospel. Now, they were getting closer, but they weren't hardly there yet. Now, one of the most famous meetings of the Restoration was held in the home of a man named Abraham Alters. And the meeting closed with this famous motto, Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. Now, did Campbell come up with that on his own? No, not really. We can go all the way back to 1659 and a man by the name of Edward Stillingfleet, now that's a name. He later became Bishop of Worcester, and he said, For the church to require more than Christ Himself did, or make the condition of her communion more than our Savior did, for discipleship it is wholly unwarranted. Right? And so uh, uh, later, and that's basically what we speak where the Bible speaks, we're silent where the Bible's silent, we're not going to, Add, we're not going to take away, right? We're not going to bind where God is not bound. We're not going to loose where God is not loose. Later on, a man wrote a book uh, by the name uh, called The Religion of Protestants, A Safe Way to Salvation. And in that, he said that the Bible was the sole authority in matters of salvation. This is what he said. He said, the Bible, I say, the Bible only is the religion of Protestants. And so, what made this idea revolutionary? Because it was revolutionary. It had been stated in the past. But who were those people talking about? We're going to speak where the Bible speaks. We're going to be silent. We're not going to add. We're not going to bind. We're not going to loose. Who were they applying that to? The Protestants and all those other people were applying that to the Catholic Church. So what made it revolutionary was Campbell and his people were now applying it to denominationalism, period. That's why it was revolutionary. It held as much weight and the hammer fell as heavy on denominationalism as it ever had on Catholicism. And that kind of woke people up. They said, wow. And that took a minute. It took a little while for them to come to the kind of understanding uh, where uh, uh, they needed to be. And so naturally, when uh, Campbell first uttered those words, where the Bible speaks, we speak, where the Bible's silent, we'll be silent. In that meeting, a great hush fell over the crowd. We're going to end with this idea. Uh, When Campbell sat down, in this meeting, after uttering those words, there was a man there. He was a Scottish bookseller. His name was Andrew Monroe, and he was the first man to speak, and he came with the idea. He said, Mr. Campbell, if we use that 
as the basis. He said that's an end to infant baptism. See, all this stuff in the back of their minds have been brewing all this while. Not just the creeds, not just the articles of faith, but certain aspects of that doctrine as well. Infant baptism. That had been carried over from where? Catholicism, right? Uh, Campbell said, of course, if infant baptism isn't found in the Scripture, we can't have anything to do with it. On hearing that, another man stood up. His name was Thomas Akison. He stood up. He said, I hope I may never see the day when my heart will renounce that blessed Scripture. Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Has there ever been a more misused verse in that context ever? Well, we look at that and we say, well, what's that got to do with infant baptism? Well, we're not the only ones. Right after he said that, uh, a man by the name of James Foster, who was from Ireland and who had always opposed infant baptism, he said, Mr. Akison, I would remark that in the portion of Scripture you have quoted, there is no reference whatsoever to infant baptism. I think there's something we need to keep in mind. This anxiety, and it sounds like there's a lot of division here. Let's not understand that as division. Let's understand that as a group of people that were passionate about discovering the truth. And they had some questions. Let's keep in mind, they're stepping out of intense darkness into light. And what happens when you step out of complete darkness into a bright light? You're blinded for a moment, aren't you? You're blinded for a moment. And as they were stepping out of the darkness of partyism, denominationalism, uh, and they stepped into the light of the real truth, that light blinded them for just a moment. But from that moment on, their activities were stepped up and their ideas began to take a definite form. So now what we're seeing is this movement that Barton W. Stone was a part of, that the Campbells were part of, it's taking form in different sections of our country all at the same time. Any comments before we close? All right. Thank you so much. We'll pick up here next time.